0: excited, and it's been four years, Uh, that's quick maybe for some of you, Uh, maybe it's five, uh, six years of your undergrad or your college degree or whatever it is you've been studying, and you're excited to move into the next phase of life. But as you're sitting there in your graduation ceremony, what you're also thinking about is the debt that you have, Uh, the $30,000 of university uh, student loans uh, that you have uh, waiting for you, and you're wondering how you're going to pay it off and you really hope you get that job that you've been looking for, uh, that you interviewed for, that you spent all that time and money uh, I, I trying to, uh, to, to, to get uh, from that degree. But until Robert F. Smith uh, comes uh, into your graduation ceremony, who's an American businessman, uh, that was the next picture, he's a saw. American businessman, a chemical engineer, an investor, and billionaire, he shows up and he's giving the commencement speech And at your ceremony, he announces that he's paying off your debt. And your parents' debt for the 400 students that are sitting in that that graduation ceremony, equating to $34 million. Imagine how you would have felt, because that's exactly what he did for the 2019 graduating class at Morehouse College in Georgia. As he was there, he said, I'm going to pay off all the debt that you have and your parents' debt so that you can live debt-free, uh, and you can start afresh uh, in the new life that you, you're, you're receiving in terms of uh, after your university degree. Just like that, your debt is gone. And do you think that the students loved Mr. Robert F. Smith that day, uh, that morning? Can you imagine if you're sitting there, what would you have felt? Do you think those students would be a little bit more generous after that moment? Well, the big idea for us this morning as we go into this text here and uh, as we continue on in Romans uh, chapter 13, as we continue on with learning uh, from the uh, letter to the Romans, the big idea is this, that those loved freely, freely love as well. That those that have experienced and those that have experienced this love, we ought to go and freely love others as well. My hope and desire from the text today is that God will keep fueling your love, Lord's Love Church. That this morning, that God will feel and reignite your love for some of you that maybe our love has grown cold, gone cold, cold. that he'll reignite our love for God, but also for others around us. And one of the most asked questions that I have with people in the, in the church world, or not, maybe people not in the church world as well, is, you know, what is the purpose of my life? What is God's will for my life? It might be shocking to you this morning that it's not to go to more Bible studies or Sunday services or fellowship or life groups or whatever ministries there are out there that our church may be offering. The simple answer this morning is this, it's to love God and to love others. What is God's will for your life? It's to love God and to love others. We can overcomplicate the faith so much of what we need to do and things that we have on our mind, things we need to plan for, but... The one thing that God calls us to do is to love him and to love others. And how beautiful would that be for us to learn that love that God has for us and for us to love everyone around us, for us to go and show love for the per- person that's checking out your groceries or the teller at the bank or your classmate or your coworker. for you to live this love that God has given you. What does it look like? How imagine what our city would look like if everyone lived out this kind of love? The last section of scripture uh, that was preached last week in verses six to seven goes like this. This is also why you pay taxes, right? For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. But here today, this morning, we, we move into this understanding of something else that we owe. We move into verse eight and we see the first point here that maybe you want to write down is that we owe everyone love. That's what we learned in the text this morning. Apostle Paul says that we owe everyone love. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. How does that make any sense, right? Like why is love a debt here? How do I owe the people around me love? How did I get into this debt, right? Like how do I owe the people around me love? And imagine this, this morning this text confronts us and it says that you owe the person right next to you love person across this room, in the sanctuary, you owe them love. The person next to that Zoom box of yours right now, love. That you owe love to people in this world. How does that make sense? How how do we understand that? Because we usually think of debt as something we owe after something's been given to us, right? I owe the bank uh, or the student loans department $30,000 because I took it out from them. They gave me $30,000, therefore I owe them $30,000. Someone lent me their car to drive for the day, so I owe it to them to give it back to them, right? Like, or else that's called stealing and <laughs> Grand Theft Auto. Uh, you, we owe back what we are usually given to us. But here, how does it make sense that we can owe someone love when they haven't given us anything? Are you following? Like, does that make sense? Like, how does that make, make any sense? Right? We have a mortgage. We owe the bank. We're financing a car, so we owe the bank or the credit union or finance company money. You borrow something, something, you owe it back to them. Yet here, the Apostle Paul says you owe everyone love, even though you didn't receive something from them. But we understand this as well with all the chapters coming up to this point that we did receive. As Christians, we did receive, and we did receive something from God. Remember the context of the first 12 chapters coming all the way to this point right here. Remember what we've gone through to be in this text today, how we've been devastated by sin, we've been corrupted by sin, and sin is deserving of punishment of death, eternal separation from God, and we're all heading down that direction until Jesus came and saved us, until Jesus came and showed and bore his love for us on that cross, until he rose again and showed himself victorious, that God forgives us of our sins, he removes our guilt, he takes away our condemnation and our shame and our sin all because of that Act on that cross for us. And Paul has this in mind that he received this grace. And people, even though people haven't given Paul anything, he remembers how God gave him everything. People around him didn't give him anything, but God gave him everything. So Paul is saying that our love comes out of this love that we have from God. So wait, you might be thinking at this moment, then doesn't that mean that we owe God? right? Doesn't that mean that we owe God love, that we owe our lives, we owe actions, we owe this debt to God? And what I find fascinating here is that the text doesn't allow for that. The text doesn't allow and doesn't say that we owe God a debt. Why some speculations? Let's do some theologizing here and getting to the biblical mind of understanding this text. Like, like we, we can never, we don't have a debt to God because we can never pay it back. That's not what it's meant to be. We can never pay back this debt. Whatever God has given us, we can never pay it back. The separation we have from God, we can never pay it back. So we don't even dare. We don't even imagine doing it. We can't even take the first steps doing it. We can never pay back the debt of God if we were to think about it in that way. And if we do try to pay it back, If we try to earn our way we try to make our own path that god has given us this and we try to give this back to god then it wouldn't be called grace anymore that would just be called a transaction a business deal like a mortgage like a student loans like the car is this a deal and from my understanding of scripture we don't have a deal with god From our understanding of Romans that we don't have a deal with God, He's been, He has given us His all, He's given us His grace freely, this mercy freely, He has freely loved us. With no return, not expecting anything in return, He has freely loved us before we even loved Him. In my own family, uh, being an Asian family, I remember during our wedding, it was a fascinating time, uh, where... Within our family, we had to record the people that came to our wedding. It wasn't for my sake, but it was from our parents or that generation, the grandparents' generation. And what's fascinating with that it was that it wasn't to see or really to thank who came, it was more of to see who came to our wedding and what was given so that when the time comes we return the favor. That's rooted in the Asian family. It's a weird thing. It's not like, oh, I'm gifting you with something. It's not that I'm really freely giving you a gift. It's more of, it's because you have given me something, I need to transactionally give something back to you. And that's not, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I can say this because of my Asian background, but I don't think that's love. That's a business deal. That's a transaction. That's not our way of understanding God. That's not our way of understanding God's Love, there needs to be a shift away from this kind of thinking, this kind of understanding. We don't go to church in order to pay God back, right? Like God has given us our all, so we pay back our dues and we give Him our time. We don't serve God to pay Him back or to give offering to pay Him back. We don't help our brothers and sisters in Togo, and Ukraine just to give back to God as a transaction kind of deal and to say we did our Christian duty. That's not our understanding of God's love. That's not our understanding of how we have freely received, how God has freely given his love for us. We don't do good to give back to God. No, we we, we offer and we serve. We go to worship not to pay back, not to pay God back, but because we've experienced this free love. We've experienced this free love, and we have this understanding of what God has done in that urges us and pushes us forward into action. There's a fine line there. There's a difference between those two. And I I, I like what Origen says, he's an early Christian uh, scholar, Uh, maybe an update, but it says this, he says this, let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love, a debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full, but will never succeed in discharging. That because of this free love we received, it overflows out of us into the people around us. And in a way, Paul is making sense of this, saying that we have this, we owe people around us this love because of what we have received. And it furthers our understanding uh, by the second part of verse 8 that for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That loving one another fulfills the law. And the word for fulfill here means to bring to a designated, a designed end. That's, not, that's what the word means. It doesn't mean you have completed it or you are the fulfillment, like you're the missing piece. It means that it brings to a designed end or it brings something into completion. Whether this is fulfilling a prophecy, an obligation, a promise, or in this case a law, we see it come into completion. We see it come into realization of what it was meant to do in the first place. That's our understanding of fulfillment. Paul is saying here that loving one another comes from this overflowing love from God and it completes the law of what we're meant to do. That as we love, that is the end result of everything that we read here in Scripture. That is the end result of the law. When we're loving each other, that is the completion, the fulfillment of the law. But how can this be? Because, well, we have to understand this. The law was meant to draw us back to God to draw us closer to God. It wasn't meant to be a transaction again. It was meant to draw us closer into this relationship to God. The law was meant to be an expression of our love to God and our love to others. Remember what uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but what? I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The same word. To bring it into completion, to live out what is actually meant to be. So when we live, when we love, We're living out the purpose of Scripture. So, firstly, we understand that we owe everyone love, but secondly, that when we love, we're living out the purpose of Scripture. That's how we know we're living in God's will. That's how we know we're living in accordance to the purpose that He has given us. Because you see, if we understand this vertical love that we have with God, it overflows into the horizontal. If we understand this vertical love with God, this love of God given to us, this love between us and God, it overflows and spills over into the people around us. And chapters 1 to 11 has demonstrated, Paul has tried to demonstrate to us how much God loves us already. But here in chapters 12 to 16, we see that we're, there's an action to that. There's a, there's a response uh, to that love that we have received. And it continues on in verse 9 here, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. As you're reading this, it seems like Paul's just, you know, drawing random, you know, from the, from the Ten Commandments, and maybe he is, I don't know. But his point is, whatever it is, it's summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. And it might come to you, you might be reminded that isn't this just half of what Jesus has said, right? Isn't it love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And the second of all is to love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is saying here, isn't Paul only getting half of it? Like, is he correcting Jesus here? Like, you know what, Jesus said that, but it's actually just love your neighbor. Again, I I don't think so because he spent the first 11 chapters defining God's love for us and our love for God, how it ought to be, our relationship with God, what it's supposed to look like. And here in, in chapter 13, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, it's assumed that we understand this love that we have with God. It's assumed that we already experienced this love for God. And, and it, something else we notice here is love your neighbor as yourself. Something else that's uh, often interpreted is that, oh, it means that we need to love ourselves more, right? And I don't think, again, that's what the text is saying here. It's not telling us to love ourselves more, to love ourselves more. Why? Because the passage assumes that we already love ourselves. Do you see that? It assumes that we already love ourselves. And that is hard-hitting. That is difficult for me as I see this. Why As I wrestle with the pain and the suffering in the world? And when I see people not seemingly love themselves, how do we understand this? Perhaps what Paul is saying that no matter what it is that we do, everything we do, the good and the bad that we do to ourselves, it's actually out of our own pleasure. It's out. Of, it's actually out for our own benefit. It's actually for the sake of ourselves. The good and the bad, listen to me well, that no matter what it is that we're doing, the good and the bad that we do to ourselves, it's actually out of a love for ourselves. That is already assumed here. That It's not like, don't tell yourself, He's not saying go love yourselves because he was saying you actually love yourself a lot. A lot, which is why you're doing what you're doing. But what Jesus has, has commanded and shifted and changed us is the way that you love yourself, the intensity of which you love yourself, you are to go and love your neighbor. That, that blows my mind. That astounds me. The way that we love ourselves the way that we express love and the way that we want to be loved, that, that's the intensity we ought to be loving other people. Maybe Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, would help with this. An expert of the law asked Jesus, what must I do, right? What is God's will for my life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with your, all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. There it is. And second of all, love, and, the first, and second is the same as this, love your neighbor as yourself. Then in Luke 10, 29, the expert of the law replies, but he wanted to justify himself. So so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, right? Like, who is it that I actually need to love? Who can I put into a category? So Jesus tells the parable that a priest walks by, this man that's injured, it doesn't help him. A Levite walks by, it doesn't help him. But a Samaritan stops, and Jesus asks them back, who do you think is the good neighbor here? The answer, the one who had mercy on him, the person that was on the, lying, lying for dead on the ground there, the one who showed love. There is no discrimination, you see, in our way of loving one another. There's no discrimination in who we are to love. The intensity at which you love yourself, we're to love everyone. Everyone, because we owe this love to people around us. This could be the person at our church, could be someone that's not a part of our community. Perhaps it's someone that you're not used to loving and find difficult loving. It's the same for that person in the way that you express your love to them as well. That's whoever it is that we're ought to have this love for them, people that are lovable and people that are, that are difficult. Love them in the same intensity that you love yourself. And that is a difficult teaching That is so hard as I'm standing up here preaching this for us to live out. But understanding, experiencing God's love enables us to go and to do this and to love others in the same way. By living out this love, we fulfill the law. We bring it to completion. We live out the purpose of what this law has meant to be for us. So the question for us is, do you love others as you love yourself? Do you love others in the same intensity that you love yourself? Are you increasing in your love for others? And I love this yesterday, I, I was tuning in and out of our life group and someone in our life group yesterday said sorry uh, for, sorry for being late, for coming into our life group. And the reason why, why, why he was late was that he was outside uh, talking to his neighbor whose mother just passed away, literally that morning, with the ambulance and the fire trucks and the police all right there. And I was thinking in my mind, don't you ever be sorry for loving your neighbor. Don't you ever be sorry for loving your neighbor, for being Christ to them, for, 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 for being, uh, and being present and being there for the people around you, that we ought to be loving the people around us with the same intensity in which we love ourselves. With the remaining time, I want to tackle this question is how do we know that I actually love God? How do I know that I'm actually following God? How do I really know that I love God or not? Because if we don't get that right vertically, it won't spill over horizontally. Two thoughts and perhaps two passages that might help us. The first one is from Matthew 10:37. Jesus says this, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone, anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This reminds me of what, uh, what, what, uh, what uh, my son said to me yesterday. I had some time with him alone at home and I was like, Hey Cohen, you know, am I your number one? And he was like, Yeah, you know, you're my number one. I'm like, Yes, you know. Um, and then, and then he's like, Wait, no, wait a minute, you're actually number two. I'm like, What? Who's number one? He's like, God, of course. That's what he said to me. I'm like, Wise man, wise guy. Uh, but here, I think this passage speaks into that. What is Jesus really saying? It's not about the law here where there's a law that you have to love your father, your mother, your son, or your daughter. No, it's not about a law. It's actually about how you value them, right? It's about actually where you place them in your life. How do I know if I love my wife, my son, and my daughter? Well, not because the law says so or something forces me to do it because the law doesn't change people's hearts anyways. We see that. I know I love them when I see them as my treasure, as I see them to be valuable to me. And in the same way here, you know you love God when you place Jesus above everything. You know you love God when you choose Jesus above, above everything. You love God when Christ becomes your all-surpassing treasure in life. That's when we know, without a doubt, that we love God. Another passage that might help us is 1 John 5, 1-7. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God becomes, uh, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It sounds right here that a lot of connection between commandments and law and loving God. And like you're saying, Doug, like here, isn't this a text that says if you love God, you just follow the law, you just do this and you do that? I think there's more here. See this in verse three, in fact, this is the love for for God. To keep his commands, yes, there's an overflowing from our understanding of God's love for us, but second of all, I think this speaks truth into our community, that his commands are not burdensome. We know we love God when we see his commands not as a burden. We don't see them as a burden, but as a blessing. That's not just something we need to do, but we know we love God When we see them as a blessing that this is our relationship with god that he is doing good in our lives when we have this faith when we believe we're born of god and this changes our hearts in the ways that we see the world that we can see the uh, the world uses the word word command in a very negative sense but god through his work and through the power of his spirit changes our hearts and we no longer see it as a burden we no longer see it negatively we see it as a joy as a pleasure, as a mission, as an opportunity to love the world and to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Paul ends this section with a encouragement and also a, a warning for us and the urgency that we read here and do this understanding, do this, all of what he just said. <laughs> The way of us loving God and loving others, do this understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because why? Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That is true, today you're closer to seeing Jesus than when you first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness, take off literally the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Verse 13 continues saying, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. A lot of pictures and imageries of putting on and, and, and putting off that there's, there's a command for us to, to remove uh, the, the evil uh, uh, that, that we are attracted to to deliberately be intentional in that, and deliberately intentionally put on things of Christ. It says right there in the, end of, uh, in the middle of 14 there, to clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. This means to consciously choose every single day, to consciously choose what, you, uh, what you're going to do uh, with this faith that you have. I hope this morning when you woke up, that like you consciously you know, put on your clothes. I think most of us did. Uh, maybe some of us are a little bit more sleepy than others. But it's a conscious de- decision to put on our clothes in order to, 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 to walk out. Uh, you constantly choose what you wear and when you get up. In the same way every day, we, we consciously choose to put on Jesus this day. To love God and to love others. To consciously embrace Christ in such a way that his character manifests in all that we say and all that we do. My son has been asking a lot of questions about heaven lately. Challenging questions, questions that volumes and volumes has been written by such a simple question from a five-year-old. What's heaven going to be like? What's, what's going to be in heaven? Is Bobbling Park, the park right beside his school, going to be there? Or what about the Nintendo Switch? You know, is that going to be in heaven? about my friends at school? Are my friends in school going to be at heaven? And as I was thinking about that, uh, as thinking about heaven, I have a question for us here this morning. I was inspired by a talk that Francis Chan gave, and he asked this question as well. said, if we had everything in heaven, if we had nothing else in heaven but Jesus, would that be enough for you? If we had nothing else in heaven but Jesus, would that be enough for you? If it was just you and Jesus forever, is that going to be enough? That's a real challenging question. The way that we answer that question affects our faith in the way that we live it out. See, church, we're called to love Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength to be lovers of Jesus. How beautiful would it be for a whole church to be known for this love of God and that will spill out to the love of of others. People will see us and be like, I don't know about these Lord's love people. I don't know about this God that they believe in, about this Jesus and Holy Spirit and the Trinity and how church works all together. But what I do know is that they sure love God. How would that change our neighborhood and our community that we're a part of? Because do you know how we attract people to Christ? Do you know how we win people over with the gospel? It's not necessarily with doing more. It's by showing love. It's by loving each other in the way that Christ has loved us. Your acts of love speak without words. Your acts of love speak without words. And when we love one another, there's an evangelistic purpose to it too. And people will come to see that there's something different about this God that we follow. Something different with this God that we believe in. I'm ending now. I know we're running... low on time here but we're entering into two weeks of new restrictions Uh, and I know it's a difficult time for for many of us as you're thinking about this time and last night I was about to have dinner and uh, receive a message uh, in our welcome team chat that there was Lysol wipes. Uh, that There were Lysol wipes down at Walmart and Grandview Highway and literally I was halfway through my bike and I dropped it and Jessica what's going on? I'm like I'm leaving (laughs) you know and I headed headed out. Uh, I drove all the way down And I bought a Lysol wipe. And as I was buying this Lysol wipe, I was reminded of this passage here. I was thinking of our church. I was thinking of our community. I was thinking about how coveted these Lysol wipes are. I was thinking about how uh, important they are in our time and right now. And I felt like what God was saying to me was, love your church. And this morning I'm saying, I owe you. I owe you love. I owe you the love that God has called me to live, not because I expect anything back, not because I want anything back, but we owe each other love. And I am saying here this morning, I owe you love. So on your way out this morning, uh, I bought a pack for each family uh, here that you will grab a Lysol wipe and you be blessed and that you be reminded. There's not very many wipes, <laughs> but I hope it will be good for at least for the next two weeks. For those of you online, There's one waiting for you too there will be a pack for you Uh, i'll make sure i'll leave these uh, outside for you guys and i wrote down here bless you go love freely romans 13 8-10 go love let's pray father we thank you for the love that you've given us and the love that you have shown and I pray, God, that you would call in us to love others in the way that you have loved us. May it not be an obligation, may it not be a task, but may it overflow from our heart and from our soul. May we experience the deepness of your love today and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, I invite you to stand as we um, respond to God in in worship, whether it's with words or quiet reflection, Um, just pray that the word that we heard um, would not just...